Welcome to the You Love and You Learn podcast, the place to learn about all things love, relationships, relationship anxiety, and to deconstruct the one-size-fits-all narrative of what it means to be in a happy relationship. I'm your host, Sarah Yudkin, a relationship anxiety coach who's on a mission to discuss the nuances of love and relationships that I wish someone would have shared with me years ago. My goal with each episode is for you to leave with an expanded definition of love and relationships and with practices to carry with you in your life and relationships on a day-to-day basis. I'm so grateful to have you here. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode. So happy to be here with you today. Today, I got to sit down with Lindsay O'Brien, who is a dating coach, a breakup mentor, and an energy healer that specializes in helping her clients go from bad relationships to real love with the magic of subconscious work. She became a coach after going through divorce and narcissistic abuse, finding a healthy relationship, and realizing the subconscious tools she used to break the cycle of toxic relationships could help others as well. And I loved today's conversation because it was a topic I've been wanting to explore for a while now, which is why we might think of an ex if we are in a current healthy relationship. So why would thoughts about a past ex come up? And even maybe sometimes if that ex, the relationship we had been in with them was a less healthy relationship, but perhaps the relationship felt more exciting. So really excited to have explored this topic with Lindsay, and I hope you enjoy today's conversation. Hi, Lindsay. Thanks so much for joining me for the podcast. Hi, Sarah. Thank you for having me. Really excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to chat with you because when we were messaging before this episode, I felt like there was a clear theme that stuck out of something that we could really talk about. But there's so many threads that connect our work together. So I feel like this conversation can go in a lot of different directions, even once we do the topic of exes and kind of like past relationships. So thanks for being here. Of course. Oh, yeah. There's a lot we can talk about. So this will be good. (laughs) Yeah. So just to give a little bit of your backstory prior to you coming on the podcast, you had shared with me that you've had your own experience of navigating relationship anxiety. So to set the stage for the rest of our chat, can you share a little bit more about your story and then how that led to you having relationship anxiety? Yes, yes. So I have a background of having lots of not so good relationships. And that's kind of where where I started to do this type of work that that you do just working with people. But yeah, I had a marriage that was very unhealthy. It was with an emotionally unavailable partner. Shortly after I left that marriage and got divorced, I got into an abusive relationship. So I had some really painful relationship experiences and went through a whole healing journey to figure out how I got into those relationships in the first place and how to find a healthy relationship. And I'm in one now. I have been in one for the past few years. And that was one of my first experiences with relationship anxiety. And actually, as I dove more into figuring out what was going on for me and realizing this was like an actual thing, like this wasn't just me being crazy or like my past trauma. Granted, surely that contributes, but I I really was kind of in the dark for a while about what was going on. And I, I really thought that maybe I was with the wrong person and I was making another mistake again. But once I realized that this was a thing and something I could work through, I realized that I had actually had similar experiences. Like when I was younger, I just had no idea that that was what was going on. I mean, I was like quite young, um, mm-hmm. like a young teenager, even before that with like some of the first first romantic experiences I had, I would have a lot of fear come up. So in my current relationship now, I just had so many doubts about 
whether this was the right person for me, because it felt very different from my past relationships. Those previous relationships, they always felt so right to me, even though they were like terrible for me. They they were really bad relationships, but I was so focused on looking for that similar feeling. And I was like, this feeling isn't there in this relationship. And that just threw me into this really bad, like anxiety spiral and and doubting and obsessive Googling. How do you know you're with the right person? And like, I, I eventually found accounts like yours, where it really just validated for me, like, oh, no, it's not not that this is a mistake. It's not that this is the wrong person for me. It's this thing called relationship anxiety. So that's my story in a nutshell of how I experienced that. Yeah. So much good stuff there. And I think what's so interesting, and I'm sure we'll talk about this theme a lot throughout this episode is that the emotional unavailability of your past relationships felt more exciting. And then being in this more, what I'm assuming is like such a safer, more stable, healthy situation, you had that notion of I'm looking for a feeling that I used to have, but it's not there anymore. And so that was what made you question things. But can you share a little bit more about what you found, not only in your own experience, but the work you do with others? Why are we so drawn to the emotional unavailability or someone that may not be fully all in with us. But then when someone is all in with us, and they're very clear about their intentions, like what's the gap between those two things that makes it so confusing? Such a juicy topic and juicy question. Yeah. So like, I'll what I'll do is I'll just share what I realized for myself. And then I can share some some more perspective on that. So I realized that for myself, the reason that I was drawn to those unavailable partners was because of my own unavailability, which was like a big mind blowing moment for me when I realized that because when I was married to the unavailable partner, I was like, no, for sure, I'm the available one. And and he's not the problem is all him, right? So I realized the reason I was choosing those partners was because of my unavailability. And for whatever reason, I think this is just something that our psyche does. And I could say this was the case for me, when our partners are unavailable. We do this thing where we put them on a pedestal, right? And because the unavailable partner doesn't share with us who they really are, what they're really thinking, what they're really feeling, like they keep so much to themselves. We have them on this pedestal and we kind of like project who they are. And a lot of our projections are similar to who we are. So like what I was doing in my marriage is I was projecting that my husband was this this great guy who we had all the same values and we would we would think a lot alike and in reality, I actually had no idea who he was because he really didn't share very much about himself. He kept everything close to the vest. So when you've got somebody on that pedestal, they seem like the most amazing person in the world. Like who would not fall in love with someone who is like a, a fantasy really of who we want our partner to be? Now they don't actually become that person. It's just a fantasy, but it's really alluring. And I saw that for myself. Like when I think of the difference between a healthy relationship, the the feelings that I feel for my partner now, we feel more like equals, like he Mm -hmm. feels like a full person, whereas my my ex husband felt like a fantasy person, Mm -hmm. and a projection. And and I felt a lot of longing with him, because he wasn't fully present. So it was interesting to see my definition of love change in this journey, My, my old definition of love was was like a feeling of a lot of longing, a lot of infatuation, reaching for that person that's never really there. Whereas now my definition of love is just like, I feel warm and comfortable with this person. Mm-hmm. But for, for a lot of us and myself included, that was what I was familiar with from my childhood. 
So if like, like those feelings of feeling right in the relationship, that's what I was looking for. It's because that's what I was used to in my childhood. So yeah. yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And there's almost two things in that response that I feel could be helpful to elaborate on. So you said that you noticed that you actually might have had some emotional unavailability, uh, yes. which was what kind of led you to that. So I think that's a really interesting thread. And I think that can be a big part of relationship anxiety is this unwillingness to be vulnerable and actually go all into something. But there was also the element of being with the unavailable partner. So maybe just to kind of define what some of that means to you, you said held things close to the vest, but what's like the line between when you would say, oh, this person's emotionally unavailable versus maybe like, okay, like this person has a little bit of uncomfortable with vulnerable things, but they're kind of like willing to at least meet me here. And like, they're willing to explore this. Like, how do you know what's the the line there? I would actually say like you you kind of answered it yourself. Like if somebody has some difficulty with opening up, but they're still willing to try and work with you and do a little bit, then I would say that's somebody who you can have a good relationship with. It, it's okay to have some discomfort. It's okay to be hesitant to share and say things like, I'm nervous to share this with you, but I'm going to try a little bit. Like that's that's good. I would consider that to be under the umbrella of healthy relationship. It's when your partner is holding everything back and they have no motivation, no desire to work with you. Like they don't want to grow. They don't want to open up. Nothing is changing. That's when I put that under the category of emotional unavailability. Mm. And it can also look different. Like I, at a certain point in my marriage, I became more available and I was sharing more. But I realized I was still staying in this relationship with someone who was unavailable because I was actually scared, like we were talking about, to to open up to somebody, to go deeper, to be fully committed, to be really vulnerable. And that's been the journey for me to get to this healthy relationship now is to become more available, to actually have to face some of my own avoidance, my own commitment issues. I was shocked when those came up, but that's what it's been like for me. I've had to become more available and to like, get comfortable in the discomfort, if that makes sense. Totally. And obviously, you've done a lot of work kind of on the back end. So we don't have to go through everything. But if someone's listening to this right now, and they're like, "Ooh, I'm resonating with what Lindsay's saying, like, I've potentially projected onto my partner that they're not doing enough as far as emotions, but maybe it's actually something with me, what would be one way or one strategy that you use to kind of check in with yourself to open up a little bit if you notice that there's like a block and I yeah, whatever comes up for you in response to that would be great. Yeah, no, you use the word block, which is actually that's what I specialize in, in helping people with releasing these deeper subconscious blocks that keep us scared to open up to healthy partners and keep us more drawn into those cycles with unavailable partners that are so painful, but actually at the same time feel very comfortable and familiar. So like for me, myself, what I can say, I notice in myself like a resistance to getting all in, I would say is like the best way to describe it. Once I'm with this, uh, this healthy partner, this healthy relationship, all of my avoidant behaviors came up, like I would consider myself to be like a fearful avoidant disorganized attachment. I didn't realize that until I was with someone available. So I have to like constantly check myself, like, am I starting to pull away a little bit? Am I starting to distance a little bit? Or am I leaning into the discomfort that is coming up for me, like some anxiety, some fears, maybe even some sadness too. 
And am I moving towards that into being more open with my partner, growing in intimacy together, or am I pulling away? Like that's the constant battle that, that I face. I, yeah. And I hope that answers your question. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think that initial just check in with yourself of am I pulling away or am I moving toward is so powerful. And it is really counterintuitive that when you are in that self-protective mode, you want to go farther and farther away when really actually what you're craving is that connection and it just doesn't feel fully safe. So thanks for sharing more just about your general experience. And it did tee off kind of what I'm hoping to dive into today, which is the topic of feeling like you've moved into a new relationship that's healthier, but perhaps there's still this thought process coming up of was I happier in a past relationship or I don't feel those same feelings. So is my ex actually a better fit for me? And what are some of the reasons you found that people may look back at a new uh, or a past relationship with some of those rosy colored glasses or maybe thinking like, oh, was this the one that got away? Like, why do we do that when we're in a new, healthier relationship? Oh, such, yeah, such a good question, because it's so common. And what I've seen with myself and with my clients, too, is what keeps us hooked on the ex that maybe hurt us or just wasn't available. It's the emotional attachment that we still have to them. So it's it's the emotions. And, and often, our emotions will tell stories in our heads. And the stories will be like, Oh, my God, I just lost the love of my life. Or I, I was way more attracted to my ex than this person. And it can make us feel really, really confused. So like part of the work that I do is helping clients to release those emotional energies that are keeping them from moving on from that ex and opening up to opening up fully to the person that's in front of them. That's actually probably a lot better for them. And that was the same case for me. But some of these emotional attachments can go really, really deep. It's like like when people talk about trauma bonds, this is what we're talking about. It's the emotions that bond us to someone. But then we imagine that once we leave that relationship, the emotional connection is going to be gone instantly. And it, it is not. It takes some time, especially if the relationship was hurtful or abusive. It can take a long time to fully process out all of those energies. And in the meantime, the story it tells is it leaves us feeling like this was the greatest person and I have lost them or like this was my true love and I'm never going to get it back. Stories like that. And mm-hmm. if you're in a healthy relationship, it can bring up doubts too. And it can make you think that maybe this this ex was the one for you. But really, it's just the emotional connection. It's just the emotional attachment that you're still processing out, but it's just not fully cleared out of your system yet. Yeah, that's super interesting. It sounds like there's kind of a two part approach. One is more cognitive with the stories. And then one is more body based or energy based with releasing some of the emotion that's coming up. And obviously, people will later in the podcast share more about where to connect with you and learn more about your work. But as much as you feel comfortable sharing, what does that process look like that you're doing with clients as far as you know, tapping back into and clearing some of those emotions? And is there anything that people listening could try on their own as a way to kind of release some of that emotion? Oh, yeah. And I and I think when you're doing something like this, I think you absolutely need both pieces. Like you do need the cognitive piece just as much as you need the emotional and the energetic piece. So yeah, like I appreciate everything that you do, because it's it's so helpful. 
And so what I'm doing with my clients, so I am, I'm in addition to being a breakup mentor, dating coach, I'm also an energy healer. So I'm doing energy healing with my clients, tapping into their subconscious. And I, I do this through muscle testing. Your subconscious will give me an answer as to what energies need to be released so that you can let your ex go so that you, you can leave them in the past and open up to a healthy relationship and to feel less doubt about the partner who's in front of you. And so I do that. Like I actually, I have it right here. I have a magnet, run it over the top of my head a couple of times and it releases it from the energy of my clients. And so it is very quick. It doesn't involve us talking about it for a long time. It's just the energy is released. It processes out of your system and then you, you feel better. And it typically takes, depending on how long the relationship is, takes a couple sessions, sometimes even a couple weeks, a couple months, if it was a really, really difficult, painful relationship. But that's what helps my clients to be able to let go of their exes and to get out of those stories and thinking like they've just lost a great love when that's not the reality. There's a great love that's ahead of them. And mm -hmm. so to answer your other question of what can people do on their own, I wouldn't say you could do this type of energy healing on your own. But what I was able to do on my own, it's, I guess, I don't know if you'd put it in the category of energy healing, but I got very comfortable with letting those emotions be there. So it's really like a form of meditation. I would practice being, focusing on my breathing, letting all those emotions and stories be there and trying not to attach to them. Like understanding that, okay, this is, this is an emotion. This is a story. I don't need to buy into this. I know that there's another perspective out there, another reality that my ex is not the greatest thing in the world and, and I have a great relationship. So I got really good at just being still and letting all of that stuff move on through, trying not to attach to it. Much mm -hmm. easier said than done, harder sometimes than others, but that was what really helped me and still does. I, I still do that. Yeah, definitely. I think the meaning that we assign to something can really make or break how we're moving forward, especially with relationship anxiety. Like I'm sure you've experienced this before where there could be a sensation or an emotion that comes up and maybe it's at not the best time. Like, oh, I'm out on a date with my partner or we're snuggled up and we're actually having a really vulnerable, intimate moment. And then soon after I'm feeling you know, doubt come up or I'm feeling fear come up or I'm feeling just the ruminations or whatever it is. And it doesn't necessarily feel like that would be the right, you know, relationship because you're like, oh my gosh, I shouldn't be feeling this way. But that's the meaning that we're assigning to it. It's kind of like we end up adding our own narrative about what's really going on when maybe the meaning that's actually there is I'm scared because I've seen that love doesn't work out in the past and I've hit a new threshold of vulnerability that we hadn't hit before. So obviously in the moment, it's hard to parse that out, but I think your you know notion of mindfulness or just staying with the feeling without necessarily labeling it or without attaching into any deeper meaning is such wise advice. It's really what has saved me and is currently saving me in addition to the other work that I've done. Yeah, it's to try to not attach to the meaning of it and just let myself feel whatever I'm feeling, which is usually anxious. And I, and so instead of attaching to the story, I just say, okay, I'm anxious right now. Let me just, let me just be anxious and just feel that and know it's not the end of the world and I'll be okay. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. One thing that I know can be common, not only for those with relationship anxiety, but just generally in our world today is comparison. And I think when it comes to the topic of exes, it's hard not to sometimes compare, especially if there's still that emotional tie to this person. So what advice do you have for someone who might be struggling with comparing their current relationship or current partner to their ex? 
Yeah, it's such a common thing. And I'm glad you're you're talking about it. So what I actually tell my clients to do is when you're in that place of like missing your ex or doubting and thinking of only the good things, I actually advise people to write down like what actually happened in that relationship? What were some of the reasons why it didn't work out? Because when you're missing an ex, you still have them on the pedestal, so to speak. And you, you've described it, you're only seeing them with, with rose colored glasses. And so I had to do this too. in a lot of my my breakups, like get real about why this relationship didn't work out, why it hurt me or why I left or why this wasn't right to kind of give myself the balance. Because Again, when you're when you're missing someone, when you're longing for someone, your brain just goes to the good stuff. It's it's really just like a survival mechanism. It's it's trying to keep you safe. And what our brain deems as safe is connected to somebody who we have an emotional attachment to. But that's not always what's best for us. So we kind of have to basically like overcome our our primitive survival instincts and say, no, actually, no, it's not best for me to go back to this ex for whatever reason. I need to remember why this didn't work out. And so like I found for myself, the more the more healing that I've done, the more blocks that I've released, so to speak, the less that happens. But yeah, that's that's what I often tell people to do. Like just remind yourself why this relationship didn't work out and then focus on doing your own healing. That's making it still feel like you should maybe you should be with your ex or maybe you're doubting and comparing because it's again, it's all just comes down to the emotional connection the emotional attachment that we still have to the ex. And when that's gone, the comparison really doesn't come up. At least I found that personally and for my clients too. I'm so excited to share that enrollment is now open for October's cohort of Beyond the Doubts group coaching program. This group is for women who want a loving, supportive community alongside them as they learn to spend less time analyzing their relationship so they can confidently move forward. And we are in the final weeks of August cohort right now as I'm recording this. And oh my gosh, it has been such a special experience. I feel truly so honored to be the coach of this group each and every round and to connect with such amazing women. And I learned just as much from them, honestly. And it is really, really so so healing and beautiful. If you feel like you've learned a lot about relationship anxiety already, but you've never quite really been able to put it into practice, or you actually have not implemented the things you're learning into your life, then Beyond the Doubts is perfect for you. You're going to be able to communicate with like-minded women in a direct, personal way, which is one of the biggest ways that we reduce the shame we feel about relationship anxiety and move forward and actually free ourselves from it. Current Beyond the Doubts member shares that the love that comes from this group is sincere and powerful and I'm so appreciative of everyone in it. Another group member shares that coming into this, I was really struggling with my relationship OCD, but the work that we have done has helped influence my thought patterns. I feel like I can enjoy my relationship so much more. If you want to know exactly how to show up for yourself during moments of anxiety in your relationship, and if you want to enjoy your relationship again, I'd love to have you in October's cohort of Beyond the Doubts. We begin Tuesday, October 17th and end by mid-December, so you'll be done with time to rest and recharge before the holidays and end of year. The link to learn more and join is in the show notes, and I'd absolutely love to have you, so please go check it out. I 
heard you uh, say something on a recent Instagram post where you were telling people that maybe thinking with the heart isn't always wise in these contexts, especially if there's like an unhealthy past ex or if there's an ex that like there's, you know, a very specific reason why you're not together. But what I understood from that post was you were saying like the heart is really that emotional tie, whereas your head might be a little bit more able to zoom out and see what really happened. And so sometimes the advice of follow your heart may not always apply in these circumstances. Is there anything else you would want to add on to that piece? Yeah, yeah. And I I made that that post because it was so confusing for me as someone who was such a such a feeling emotionally oriented person. I always wanted to follow my heart. And and I thought that that was good advice. But yes, I do consider the heart to be like what we would call like your ego or your wounded inner child. There's so many different ways that we could describe that. And so if you're only following your heart when you've had a pattern of not so great relationships or, or painful relationships, then the heart doesn't want to give up. It like wants to keep going no matter how much it's been hurt. It still wants to have that connection. It wants like the fairy tale ending. And so I had to do two things. I had to follow my head. I had to like not listen to the heart anymore because the heart kept getting me into painful relationships. So I had to go by logic, but then I also had to tap into like what I call your your true self or the deeper part of you that is very, very quiet. You have to get really still to to hear its messages. It's not pushy. It's not, it doesn't have you make decisions based on fear. It's more of like, wouldn't it be nice? Like a little whisper, wouldn't it be nice to have a relationship where you could feel really loved, where they your partner would be available, where they would care for you and treat you well. And so that's really what I had to do. I had to like, let the heart feel what it feels like, that's fine. But I'm going to go by logic. And I'm also going to go by this little whisper that says there's something better out there for you. It's very quiet. But that is what I had to follow to to break that cycle. Yeah. And it makes so much sense in that context for you of like why the whisper would have been saying there is something better that is more healthy. And I think where it can get confusing, and I know I've had this before, um, and I actually have my whole webinar on like, is it anxiety or intuition that talks about yeah. this, where I think that there were always like those fear based voices that you said that were like, Oh, my gosh, like, are you settling? Or this must be this, this must be that. But then that quiet voice was always like, I think this is such a loving relationship. What would happen if you didn't like run away because it was scary? Like what would happen if you did actually stay and put, you know, your energy towards making this work. And I just love that you've brought that into the conversation because I do think that sometimes that voice and what some call intuition, whatever call your highest self can kind of, like you said, say that whispering type voice, but it doesn't necessarily have to mean that you take action on anything right away. It's just something to know. And from a little bit more of that grounded energy, you can kind of focus in on. Yeah, I love that you experienced the same thing. Because that's, it's the same voice that keeps me in my current relationship when I have the doubt. It just whispers, it's like, this is actually going to be really good. Like, Mm -hmm. like, just let's just see, let's just see and stick this out. Yeah, it feels like that. It absolutely does. Definitely. And I I find too, what a lot of my clients notice is that we always assume that like something's going to happen that will be way worse than it is. And then when we actually get there, we're like, oh, that actually wasn't so bad. And so when we can trust that voice that's encouraging us to do something, it doesn't always have to be like the big, bold thing. It can just be something that happens. And maybe it wasn't as crazy as we thought it would be like, yeah, we're going to just have like a nice, healthy life together. But maybe it doesn't have to be this like big, flashy thing that we thought. Right, right. And often, like, I find that 
where my in- intuition leads me. It's stuff, it's places and things that I would have never actually expected. Like I never expected to be living the life I am now with the partner I have now. If I had just been following the fear-based voices, I would I would not be happy. It's always surprised me where I've ended up and in, in a positive way too. Like it's not <laughs> things bad things didn't happen, but yeah, when I follow that voice, it's just been full of surprises, but good surprises. Mm, I love that. What would be a way that you recommend people cuz you kind of shared some advice if people are comparing with their ex and then their current partner, we kind of focused on how to address like the ex piece. But are there any strategies that you have for yourself or your clients to kind of shift the focus back to being present in your current relationship and maybe releasing the need to focus on the ex when it keeps coming up? Yeah, yeah. What I what I've done for myself is when I catch myself in that place of the doubts and going like, oh, this this particular thing about my ex was a little bit different or a little bit better or I liked it better. What I've had to do is focus on gratitude. And I I, I like cringe when I say that because I'm not <laughs> I don't I don't love those practices in general, but it has been really helpful for me to realize just what I have in front of me. Because I what I realized is it's very easy to take for granted when somebody really loves you and is fully showing up for you. So I when I notice myself doing that, I bring myself back to, okay, what, what do I appreciate about my partner in the moment? And I will just like go through the list and pretty quickly I will get out of the the comparison. I'll be like, oh yeah, like I'm so grateful for this relationship. I'm so happy here. So that's what I've had to do to get myself out of that. I love that. And I've shared this with my audience many times before, but there's a great phrase from Brene Brown where she says gratitude is a practice, not an attitude. And I think that's so important because a lot of people, if you experience anxiety, you're like, well, I'm just not grateful. And it's like other people are grateful, but I'm not. And it's like, no, it's a practice if you just bring yourself back to that. And I think I feel the same. Sometimes I feel cringy when I'm saying like, just be grateful. And that's not what we're saying, but it's more so I think it's just been overblown and everyone on social media is saying, be grateful be grateful. So then it's kind of lost its shine. But some of the things that people say the most can actually, you know, have some (laughs) truth to them when you can make it a practice in the way that works best for you. So I agree with you. Yeah, like years ago, I used to try doing gratitude practices. And I would just like write, write gratitude lists. I was like, this isn't doing anything. But the way I do it now is yeah, like you described, it's actually more of a practice. It's more of a doing where like I get into a meditative state kind of and I and I just focus on the feeling like, what do I what do I love about my partner? And I just let it come to me. And it, it's always there because he's he's great. Like there's lots of things for me to appreciate. So, yeah, I think there's a subtle difference, but the result can be much different. Yeah. And this is, I mean, we don't have to stay on the gratitude topic too much longer, but one thing that's coming up for me as you're speaking for anyone listening is that what I find is helpful for gratitude practices is to actually write or feel something that you genuinely feel grateful for. You know, there's always these sayings of like, well, at least you have a roof over your head and like, at least you can have food to eat today. You know, it's like, okay, that's not actually feeling, I don't feel that grateful for that. And maybe I should more often, like that's a privilege that I don't maybe think about those things every day. But if I genuinely feel grateful that Nate sent me a sweet message today, or I genuinely feel grateful that like we have a strong communication and and that we've grown, like the things that authentically feel good to you, not just making it feel forced, because then the practice doesn't seem 
helpful and then you're not going to continue with it. So whenever there's a practice shared like that, always making sure it feels like it's helping you move the needle forward versus just doing it to check the box. That's such a good point. Yeah. And I completely agree. It has to feel like it's real for you. Not like you're just like that. I kind of feel that way sometimes about affirmations. Like it feels sometimes like you're just putting a sticker on something that's like not true. That's why I focus on subconscious work because usually the root of things is subconscious. And so, yeah, just to tag along with that. Yeah. It makes sense to me. Yeah. Love that. So One thing like with your story that I would be interested in just hearing you speak to a little bit more is there's a lot of people in my community or clients that I've worked with who maybe felt like they didn't have a very trusting past relationship or they feel like they have experienced some sort of, you know, unhealthy dynamics. And then it's hard for them to kind of move forward and trust in the safety of this new relationship. And that's pretty much your story in a nutshell. So how have you learned to trust not only yourself in making decisions about this new relationship that you're in that's healthy, but trust in love again after feeling hurt before? Mm, I could, yeah, I mean, I could like write a book on that. But mm-hmm. but yeah, no, I love that question. Because yeah, I, I did struggle a lot with trust after being hurt so many times. And I don't know why, but I've always just still had the hope that I could love again. Now I had a lot of fear, but I still had that desire and and feeling of like, no, like I'm not, I'm not going to give up on this. I'm going to, I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to figure this out. And so took a lot, took a lot of healing. Like I said, a lot of the subconscious work I did, a lot of working with mentors too, to help me to realize that I actually always had signs in the past that this person wasn't right for me. I just didn't follow them for whatever reason at that time. I didn't trust those signs. I didn't feel like I could go by them. So the process for me was learning that I actually have had the signs. There were always red flags. There were always things there that I just didn't follow, but I still have that ability. And so going into this relationship, I had like eyes wide open and there were a lot of things that were great about my partner, but there actually were some things that were not perfect, not like ideal that I had to talk to my partner about and the two of us had to work through things together to make sure that both of us felt safe and comfortable in the relationship. And so really for me, it was just like trial and error, just like putting one foot forward, bringing up my needs, bringing up my boundaries, bringing up my concerns and seeing how this person responded to them. And he responded well, you know, we we worked through things, but if he hadn't, Then at that point, I had done enough of my own work and had mentors around me where I would have been able to walk away. And in the beginning, it was kind of messy. Like there were times where I was like, I don't know, maybe I do need to walk away. We were able to work through it. But that Mm -hmm. also added to the difficulty that I had with opening up again. It was just, it was a lot and it was very messy and it was very confusing. And I had to talk to a lot of people. I, I talked to a lot of mentors who were in healthy relationships. Now I made sure I chose like very particular people to to help me to see through some of this stuff to figure out was this something I had to walk away from or was this just part of normal relationships because I I truly didn't know like I actually mm-hmm. had this idea that healthy relationships were going to have no conflicts mm-hmm. <laughs> like they would just be happy and peaceful all the time so we would have conflicts and I would go oh no here's where the doubt would come up and, and convince me that maybe I was making a mistake again. So yeah, it was just like baby steps, like knowing that I could identify the signs and practicing seeing the things that I knew I needed to look for. And if something came up, 
I talked to my partner about it and we, we kept moving forward. You know, I'm lucky enough to have a partner who also values personal growth and, and doing his own work. So we, we worked through those things, but yeah, it was very difficult. And so did you ask me, I'm sorry, did you ask me for advice? I, I forgot what what your real question yeah, was. Just to respond <laughs> on like how you were able to build trust not only in yourself, but in the new love again. And it sounds like some of that was through, you know, getting support, but also just trial and error, which I think is so yeah. wise too, because it's like we don't always know what's going to happen. And part of self trust for me isn't that you know that you're going to have a successful outcome. It's just trusting that you can continue to figure it out no matter what. That was, yeah, that was exactly it. Just literally like baby steps, one one step at a time, like putting my foot out there to start talking to people in a romantic way again. And just having so much wisdom that I didn't have when I was younger, I could now more easily see the signs that I was noticing before, but like just didn't know enough about relationships and what was healthy and what was not to even like make a connection that this is not someone that I should move forward with. So just a lot of education and yeah, like I said, those baby steps. And also knowing that, hey, I survived divorce, I survived an abusive relationship, I will probably be okay if something happens. Of course, I will catch it way earlier this time. But yeah, knowing that if I could do it before, I could absolutely do it again. Yeah. And one thing you said that I thought was interesting was almost like the comparison of what happened originally, which was like, you felt like maybe you ignored some of the red flags that were coming forward versus then what happened in the second more or well, the third relationship you've mentioned, but the most recent healthy relationship, which is that then it almost kind of then you were hyper aware of some of these things. And I think there's probably a mix of people listening to this, you know, that have experienced both sides. And I know at least for relationship things, Anxiety, that hypersensitivity to red flags can be a really big thing. And so if you would just be able to quickly confirm when you say the red flags that you kind of overlooked last time, were you saying about kind of like the unwillingness of your partner to meet you emotionally? Is that kind of what you're referring to? Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, my, my previous two partners were not interested in growing. They really weren't interested in doing their own work or really compromising at all in the relationship, especially the abusive one that was just yeah, very bad. So yeah, that's what I mean. Like there were lots of signs along the way that this was not a good relationship for me. Like my partner was not going to be able to meet my needs and, and to compromise in the relationship. So it took me a while to realize that a healthy relationship is not just all wonderful and, and no conflict at all. It's like, it was a gray area for me for a while to figure out like, well, what is what's normal? Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> is conflict normal? I found out yes, yes, it is. It's just it's healthy when you're able to work through it and resolve it, which I was not able to do in my past relationships, we would have a conflict and it would just be there forever. We just wouldn't work through it. Mm, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, those are the types of red flags that I'm talking about, like that inability to resolve anything to really meet my most basic needs in a relationship. Because I'm I'm not talking about like extravagant things here. I'm just talking about totally. like basic needs for communication, empathy, um, yeah. just care in the relationship. Yeah. yeah, that's really helpful to hear just because I think and just to repeat what you said too about the most recent relationship, like there were times when you still had to work through things. And so just yeah. anyone listening, like knowing that, first of all, if you're hearing like the different options that Lindsay is sharing of like what she's been through. You don't have to necessarily decide right now if your relationship is definitely one or the other, but just taking those small baby steps, like she's saying, to build that trust in yourself, build that trust in your relationship and just checking on the other end 
with your partner, is there a willingness to want to work on these things? And we don't know what the outcome will be, but I think that willingness goes a long way. Oh, it really does. It was really, that's been the biggest difference between my past toxic relationships and this one. It's my partner's always willing to work with me on things and make sure that I'm comfortable and and vice versa. We do the same thing for each other. And that's made just the biggest difference in the world. Beautiful. I love how you said vice versa. Like you're also willing to be making sure he's comfortable with things. And I I think it goes both ways, you know, and I'm such a big proponent of it takes two to tango. So obviously not taking too much responsibility for our side of it, but not making our partner the only one that's responsible either. And it's such a delicate dance. It is. And that's why I love like conversations like this, because we can talk about that messy gray area it isn't so black and white. I feel like like when we're on social media, it's kind of like it's easy to just fall into that black and white thinking. But but I yeah, I love here how we can talk about the nuance because there is yeah. a lot of nuance. Every situation is different. And you may be in my situation and actually feel like, oh, no, this is not the right thing for me. I'm looking for something different. There's no yeah. right or wrong here. Absolutely. Well, before I ask the final couple questions, is there anything that we've explored that you want to add any more context to or anything else that's coming up for you that you want to weave in here? Yeah, let me think about that a moment. No, I feel like we've we've really covered a lot of my experience. Like I said, I love your work too. And I think I'm still like what I've, oh yeah, I'll add this. I've noticed for myself that I need to take the pressure off of myself to try to figure all of this out like now and have all the answers. And so what I'm doing for myself is just giving myself a lot of time in the relationship to really feel, is this right for me? Is this a person that I want to spend the rest of my life with? And just like, if it takes a couple of years, it takes a couple of years. Like, I just want to really take my time with that. And that's what I've been doing. And it's been really helpful. Like, I've just been steadily growing in confidence in my relationship. I think because I'm being so conscious about it and really taking my time and doing the healing that I have to do in order to feel really sure about my decision in, in moving forward or not. Maybe like, maybe I'll talk to you in a couple of years. I'll be like, yeah, this wasn't it for me, but. So far, it's looking like, yeah, I am quite happy in this relationship. So mm, that's beautiful. The reminder to be patient as well. I think in today's culture, it's everything feels so rushed. And especially with social media comparisons of like, I met the love of my life. And three months later, we're doing this. It's like, well, okay, that's awesome. Like maybe their personality and temperament are slightly different, you know, from yours. And some people need more time to be intentional. So thanks for that reminder. All right. So because this is the You Love and You Learn podcast, the final question I asked all my guests is, what have you learned about love that you want to leave listeners with? Oh, such a good question. Well, I have lots of things I could say to that, but I will I will choose one. And the most important thing that I've learned about love is it's not really about the feelings, which was initially hard for me to come to terms with as a very feeling emotional person. But what I've realized, love for me is it's the actions, it's the doing. Of course, I still have some of those feelings. You know, I, I do feel love for my partner. But I've realized that it, it it's so much more than that. Like now being in a healthy relationship, I see all of the loving actions that my partner does for me and, and that I do for him too. And yeah, that's really been it for me. I was, it, this was like a big aha, like, oh, it's not just about how many emotions I feel for this person. It's how does this person show up for me in their behavior, in the ways that they love me, the things they do for me. 
that's my biggest lesson in love. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. And I share that same lesson as well. And it did take me some time to really understand that. And there's still some moments where I go back and revert to old feeling chasing of like, Oh, do I feel enough of this right now? And so when I notice that coming up, I remind myself, all right, focus on what I can control, which is one loving action in this moment, instead of something that's out of my control, which is the feelings that come and go throughout the day or week or month, you know, those aren't necessarily fully in our control, we can influence them, but they can pop up. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's yeah, feelings are fleeting. That is what I've learned. But consistent loving actions like that, that's something you can build a a relationship on. That's like, that's a person you can build a life together with somebody that does that for you. Beautiful. Well, thanks so much, Lindsay. Where can people stay connected with you if they want to learn more about your work? You can find me at Instagram at the real love alchemist. You can also find me on my website there, the real love you can find me on YouTube. Same thing. The Real Love Alchemist. I'm also on TikTok. I'm not there as much. I, I'm primarily on Instagram, YouTube, and my website. So yeah. Awesome. I will put those all in the show notes. And thank you so much for being here with us. I really enjoyed learning more about this topic from you. And uh, thanks, everyone. We'll see you in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Love and You Learn podcast. If you've been enjoying the podcast, it would mean the absolute world to me if you could rate and review the podcast because the more ratings and reviews there are, the more people that can hear this message. And it's really important to me to get this message out to the world and to create a space where people can learn about love and relationships in a way that is not judgmental, in a way that helps them expand their perspective from the cultural narratives that we've heard and seen in the movies and in Hollywood and the media. And the more ratings and reviews that are there, the more people that can hear this message. So thank you again so much. It really means the world to me that you are listening and see you in the next episode.